Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Much was made recently of the return to the Dublin senior football panel of Jack McCaffrey and Paul Mannion. But if anybody needed reminding that Kerry football is also with decent nick at the moment. They got it yesterday as GA fans around the country sat down to watch David Clifford and Shawnee O'Shea go head-to-head in the quarterfinal of the County Champions. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast. Hi, Murph. Hey, well, rude health is the usual, is the phrase that people usually go for. In Rather than good nick. Oh, well, good nick's good, but rude health is even Good better. nick sounds like more like something you might say in real life, whereas rude health sounds like something that you only say oh, yeah. in sports broadcasting. Yeah, it's, you know it's, I mean? it only appears in match reports or it turns out podcast yeah. intros. Yeah, just a gentle reminder to the rest of the country that the reigning All-Ireland champions have some handy players themselves coming into their peak years as well. How mm. did the big showdown go? Go down? Uh, well, I can't help but feel that we were robbed a little because of the absolutely horrendous weather. Mm. Uh, and, you know, if this game was being played in the middle of November, maybe, then you'd be inclined to say, well, what do you expect? But it just it just did kind of, it did put a dampener, a quite literal dampener on affairs. On But I will say this, that I'd been looking forward to this game all weekend. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, set aside uh, an hour and 20 minutes of my weekend to say Let's sit down and watch David Clifford and Shawnee Shea and see what happens. David Clifford! And the first two attacks, the the first attack on either side featured uh, both teams getting everyone else the hell out of the way Mm -hmm. and booting a massive high, a massive like 40, 50 yard kick pass uh, one hop in front of both Sean O'Shea and David Clifford. I'm I'm already thinking of the Clifford, Shane Walsh Jewel yes. in the final where it felt like for a period both the other 28 players just stepped aside they were like they were like extras in a in a movie scene you know it was like basically Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in Heat <laughs> and the other 28 players were like the other people in the restaurant basically that was it <laughs> uh, so yesterday I was I was very much enthused by the, the start that the game made which was okay Everyone appears to have had a look at both teams and decided, you know, the best thing we can do to try and win this game is just get this guy to touch the ball as often as possible and good things will happen. Now, as it turned out, um, you know, East Kerry are so good and they've so many good players. That's Clifford's team. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were better equipped to snuff out Shawnee Shea than, uh, than, the, op- than, the, than the alternative for Kinmare. But it was still bloody good. Uh, and Clifford is... <laughs> there, there was a stage in the second half where his 
the Dara Roach was playing full forward. I mean, I, I've first of all, I've got a lot of respect for the guy who takes the number fourteen jersey. Like, <laughs> Trevor, you can go over in the corner there, and any ball that doesn't get to me, yeah, you can yeah, just yeah, yeah. you can pick up my crumbs. Second ball, you can, yeah, it's it's second, second ball, ball option. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If Dara Roach just slows down, have a look in the corner, see if there's anything in there that you fancy pass it to. Uh, he kicked two brilliant points from play at the start of the second half, and I was like, ah. Interesting. I like this Dara Roach. I like the cut of this guy's jib. But uh, Roach is nothing if not a slave to the narrative and uh, <laughs> politely got the hell out of the way while David Clifford kicked point after point in the last quarter uh, and uh, saw them home. Now, I mean, uh, Kinmer hit the post uh, with a kind of a fisted effort. Uh, I haven't seen a team launch two better speculative high balls in the last two minutes of a game than Kinmer did. Paul O'Connor uh, put both of them Absolutely precisely where you want to, to put a ball. Armagh. Armagh Galway. Funny enough. Pe- uh, Remember that? They were just yeah. raining these high balls in. They were bouncing, dribbling into the goal. and two of, those were, two of those were actually efforts for points that fell short. That's all. There was one. one. The Reno Neal punch one was just get it in the mixer. The other two were actually attempts at points as opposed to, you know, like a, a, a very definitive, uh, definitive tactic. Although funny enough, Reno Neal was on um, the GA Social podcast the BBC podcast uh, a couple of weeks back and he did say alright that Armagh kind of said that they were going to target it didn't actually target it uh, specifically in extra time of that game but I digress Paul O'Connor Paul O'Connor of Kinmare put in two of the best balls I've ever seen in that uh, scenario very nearly nicked a draw but East Kerry will take a lot of stopping in this Kerry uh, Senior Football Championship I see Mark O'Connor brought a decent contingent with him from Australia I'm sorry but I love this story. Uh, he was playing for Dingle. Uh, Dingle are the last uh, club team left now in the Kerry uh, County Championship. This is Mark O'Connor who recently won an AFL Grand Final. Won an AFL Grand Final with uh, Geelong. And then a couple of weeks later, he's playing uh, centre forward, midfield, centre back, just basically running around the place, uh, putting out fires everywhere. Dingle hammered Dr. Crokes. Uh, and a gang of his teammates from Geelong pitched up in Tralee in the pissing rain in October to, to watch this Kerry County Championship quarterfinal. Uh, Morris Brosnan was there for the 42 and uh, he says uh, they shuffle into the uh, they shuffle into the uh, stand minutes before the County Championship quarterfinal in Tralee kicked off to the unmistakable soundtrack of clinking cans. Uh, on Twitter, he speculated that it might have been uh, Gordon's gin and tonic, the, you know, the pre-mixed cans. Oh, yeah, yeah, were, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, who are we to cast aspersions on the drinking choices of Australians on their holidays in Tralee in the piss and rain in October? But it, it I, I mean, I don't know. I think it speaks to the sort of teammate that Mark O'Connor is, that that many of his teammates would travel around the globe uh, to see him play in a club quarterfinal. He was really good. Uh, Thomas Sullivan scored five points and a mark and he was playing cornerback. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how a cornerback gets into position to take a mark, uh, take an offensive mark. Um, but Dingle, you know, we were speaking about Mark O'Connor uh, after the uh, grand final win and we were saying that he is the Kerry minor of the, you know, the, the four in a row, five in a row, four in a row minors that they won. He, him... Shawnee O'Shea and David Clifford were the three best minors on those uh, three teams. I mean, he's won his grand final. It kind of maybe it's the perfect time to leave Australia. I mean, it wouldn't sound like it to me. I mean, it, his career has obviously includes now a premiership medal, but 
you know, he, he there's there's still a ceiling, I think, that he hasn't quite reached in Aussie rules. He can play more games, he can play more minutes. It would seem like a weird time to give it all up. It does sound hilarious, by the way, that he's allowed to come back and play yeah. when you're a professional athlete. I presume he's allowed because he he's, is, b- he's yeah. been rumbled at this stage, I would imagine. Yeah, with yeah, the half his team coming over to watch. Uh, no, the AFL teams have kind of had a bit of a change of heart, I think, on this. Uh, they seem more and more willing to actually co- uh, allow players to play. There was Mark Keane, obviously, in 2020, Colin O'Reardon, obviously, in 2020, both played inter county games uh, in uh, November. Uh, with the uh, with the uh, the blessing of their AFL club, so maybe they're a bit more relaxed about it. I mean, Zakhtuy's kind of given up on playing for Port. I think Portlaoise were out by the time uh, he even would have got back. But yeah, it's a pretty mad couple of weeks, uh, a sporting couple of weeks for Mark O'Connor. I have a number of emails in here to editor at Second Captain Sucker. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click. Click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. First one here is about the cheating scandal we talked about last week. Which one, I hear you ask? Fishing, chess, boxing, Irish dancing? No, mm. it was the poker. Garrett Adelstein, one of the best players in the world, accused his opponent, Robbie Jade, Lou, of cheating after she went all in on what was seen as an underwhelming hand winning $269,000 pot during a live televised, televised game at the Hustler Casino. Quick reminder of... It's literally like the sort of most disturbed look that I've ever seen Garrett give. Yeah, that was Garrett giving a disturbed and disturbing look. Mm. It disturbed he me really watching him. Yeah. I wasn't happy. Now, we came to the conclusion that he didn't seem to have a great hand either. He got bluffed and he probably should have taken his medicine. Conan Doherty emails in, Hi guys, I'm no poker grandmaster. But that clip you're talking about will be very familiar to anyone who's ever benefited or been fecked over from a call like that. Ken is right in saying that he didn't have the cards, but he did have position to bet first. And he had a number of options to hit a flush or see, I'm, I'm gone again, okay, yeah. or a straight with the next card. Although he, she can simply be construed as calling him on his weak hand, it's mad that she do that with a jack high and absolutely nothing else. With four cards on the table and two in his hands, you'd assume you're losing it all. If all you have is a jack high, at the very least, you determine your hand is not worth the risk. But she not only called him, she put her whole game on the line with it. Even if he did have a weak hand, another very weak hand still could have beaten her. When you tie all that in, when you win with a call like that, you always say you just knew they didn't have the cards, even though you didn't have them either. And also, in reality, you know you were tossing up a Hail Mary. When you lose like that, your respect for that person will never be restored. And you'll utter the purest words, terrible poker. Wow. So terrible poker sounds like winning poker, but it's yes. more like lucky poker. Yeah. That's what they're getting at here. It's why poker players hate people saying you need luck because you're supposed to make the right call and the right fold at all times if you're a real poker player. And they hate it even more when somebody actually profits from a lucky call. Great stuff as always, says Conan. Thank you very much hmm. for that. One minute still say there's a difference I, yeah, between I mean, being lucky and cheating. I, 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 I think I know more about, this, about the situation, but I still hold fast to our original... Uh, thinking, which was, well, listen, mate, tough shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think the, I've, I think I've pretty neatly uh, described the show's opinion of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I regret to inform you, Murph, Major League Baseball is the latest sport to fall victim to massive controversy this month. In the bottom of the sixth inning of the deciding game three between the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets, the game was paused while umpires examined the 
ears of Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove <laughs> at the request I for that they didn't go any further than that yeah. yeah at the request of Mets manager Buck Showalter per the Washington Post there was a large amount of online chatter after an image taken from the telecast appeared to show Musgrove with noticeably shiny ears he was seen rubbing his right ear between pitches prompting speculation that he might be using a substance such as Vaseline which can help yes Murph this is, this is a true story okay. which can help impart less spin and possibly more movement to pitches so I suppose the idea was he's got Vaseline or something on and then he puts his hand on his ears yeah, takes yeah. globs of it off yeah. lashes it on the ball and changes the trajectory of the ball Musgrove was allowed to continue pitching after officials rubbed his ears and found nothing objectionable <laughs> there's honestly footage of this and it's frankly bizarre Ooh, after a close shave 150 years of uh, no cheating in baseball has been maintained on Thank Christ for that. May the, long may this run continue. We did talk about baseball last week. We talked yes. about Aaron Judge's breaking up the American League home run record, single season home run record. But Robert Mannering wants us to focus on what's happening on the West Coast. Murph emails in here, Seattle's baseball miracle. Does Owen know that his adopted hometown of Seattle has finally ended a historic postseason drought? 20 years, the longest in American sports. Hopefully someone has told him of an unfolding miracle happening in the Pacific Northwest. Grunge Week is set to be unleashed on the baseball world this weekend as the postseason starts and the Seattle Mariners fairy tale team finally make landfall in October. Baseball go ends. Well, I've looked it up since then. This email was sent in last, late last week. Not only are they playing postseason baseball, they are, oof, they're on fire. The Seattle Mariners produced a sensational comeback on Saturday to beat the Toronto Blue Jays in advance to the second round. They were 8-1 down after five innings, but they tallied four runs at the sixth and four more in the eighth, right. tied the game at 9 all, and eventually... You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, according to MLB.com, the comeback was the second largest in playoff history, the largest for a team on the road, and the largest in a series-clinching game. The Mariners will next host the Houston Astros. The best of five series. Mm. They're absolutely amazing, though, we discovered last week. So, well, there you go. Good run, Seattle Mariners. <laughs> I, for one, predict pain for the Seattle Mariners. They're going to be given a Viking funeral next week. McCartan gone emails in Dick Witch from Down Under. I'm a big fan of the show. You know what's happening here, Murph. It's a very complimentary okay. opening paragraph. Oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. Having been listening to you for as long as I can remember, you've been the soundtrack to my daily commute during life in Kathmandu, Atlanta. Melbourne and now the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Well travelled gentleman mm. here. Uh, but, you know, I really enjoyed the chat. Oh, it's a bit more of a comment, but I really enjoyed the chat about referee abuse last week because, along with many, I witnessed a lot of it growing up and so on. However, I found it pretty cringy to be listening to you guys pontificate about this issue given how much airtime you give to perceived bad refereeing decisions, VAR calls, and other injustices, in inverted commas, you see in GA or soccer matches each week. How is that different to a parent abusing a referee from the sidelines? Why is it okay for you to constantly bitch and moan about stupid, in inverted commas, referees? and decisions on air, humiliating individual individuals like Zhug or whoever, and piping that into the ear... Well, I mean, we complimented him on his amazing decision yeah. to give us a penalty. Piping that into the earbuds of thousands of people around the world. But no, others shouldn't be roaring abuse at a referee. They're bad and we're good. Your moaning is a distant, impersonal, perhaps... Your moaning is distant, impersonal perhaps, but it's all part of the same normalisation of aggression towards referees and it's an early step along the path that leads to physical abuse. A bit of practising what you preach wouldn't go amiss, says McCartan. He was essentially following your broken... He's following your broken windows theory, Murph, and saying that our analysis yeah. of I mean, refereeing decisions could be considered one of those broken windows. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone realises the difference between criticising a referee's performance and abusing the, the referee personally. I mean, McCartan not, doesn't appear to, but I mean, I think a lot of people do. Uh, the, the idea that you can't say, 
none of us were sitting here last week saying, well, whatever the referee does, you can't offer an opinion on whether he think whether you think they were right or wrong. I mean, you can question a referee's decision. Of course you can. And But what we're talking about is personal abuse of a referee, intimidating uh, behavior towards the referee and physical assaulting of a referee. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't think you can, I, I don't think you can ask uh, people to just not question referees' decisions ever. I mean, I think you can at under 10 level or under 12 level or something. I think that's fair enough. But the idea that, uh, that what we might or might not say about uh, Matthias Jug's performance in uh, uh, Ireland's devastating 2-1 loss to Portugal uh, last year equates in some way to uh, to referees getting... I, I, I don't see it. McCartan, I mean, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm being a massive hip- hypocrite, but I don't see well, that. Well, the problem with the VAR stuff at the moment is it's impossible to avoid. There's actually a little bit of that in the football podcast today, McCartan. So that might be about 90 seconds that you'll need to skip past if you're if you're listening there. Although the point on that is that it's actually impossible not to talk about refereeing decisions in football, especially at the moment, it seems mm. like. And actually, do you know what? I very seldom recall us during the GA season spending that much time no, talking about referees. We just don't we, do we, it. We've actually generally, we sort of have tried to avoid it because it can be quite dull yeah. sometimes. And feels kind of pointless and also you do want to be fair enough like you, you you don't spend 10 minutes talking about a player's mistake necessarily so we don't often spend 10 minutes doing it it's mm. football wise yeah it's creeping more and more into the football narrative everywhere at the moment because it can't not when so many games and some weekends are absolutely dominant but it's, it's you'd have to you have to sort of willfully ignore it entirely to not talk about it, which I think mm. is is too much to expect as well so I guess we're respectfully disagreeing with you there, McCartan, but thank you. There's another nice bit at the end of the email. Uh, no, I don't want to hear no, that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Our relationship is, is broken yeah. beyond repair with uh, with McCartan there, for, who's emailed into editorsecondcaptains.com. Now, there are many, many good reasons to sign up for the Second Captain's World Service. One of them being that if you become a World Service member, you automatically become a member of the I'll Tell You Road at Second Captain's Book Club. And who wrote it? I can't remember After the brilliant chat we had with Richie Sadler about Rough Ride last time out, our next episode of the book club is on the way in November. We'll be talking about night games, sex, power, and a journey into the dark heart of sport by Anna Crean, winner of the William Hill Sports Book of the Year Award in 2014. It's about the rape trial of a young Australian rules footballer and about the darkest recesses of sports culture. We spoke to Anna about it when it came out. It was, it was an amazing chat we had. It's a really, really absorbing book. And the themes she covers remain as relevant and important as ever. What is it now? Eight years on from when that first came out. And a really interesting book reviewer for this one as well. Irish Examiner sports columnist Emer Ryan is a former inter-county camogie player with Tip. She's also a novelist. Her first novel, Holding Her Breath, is nominated for the 2022 John McGarren Prize for Best Debut Work of Fiction by an Irish Writer. She's also UCC's Writer-in-Residence, so it's going to be a good one. A pleasure to have her on the show, and we'll be reviewing this in, the, what are we looking at, Murph? November Middle of time? November. Middle sometime. of November, yeah, 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 yeah. So just get the book now, wherever you normally get it. Have a read. Let us know beforehand what you make of it, any questions you might have, anything. Any you issues arising. Yeah, do send them in to the usual email address and just put book club or something along those lines into the title. The I'll Tell You Road at Second Capital Book Club. Book club, one of the many reasons to sign up to the world service for only a five or a month plus VAT on secondcaptains.com One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes Nice dress uh, It's a it's a t-shirt Until you tried it on Same goes for your health care 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, Owen, I like you and I like your style. The second captain. We've got that bit better quality. It's a compliment any place, anywhere, all over the world. Full of protein. It's information, fluid information. I don't know what you're talking about. You can do it while you're cleaning the house, brushing your teeth, taking a bath. Trying to be critical is going to be impossible. I'm very pleased to tell you that Simon Hick joins us at this point of today's show. Hey, Si. Hey, fellas. How are you? A lot of decent stuff going on in the URC at the weekend, including Leinster sharing 13 tries with the Sharks. What was it? 54-34 in the end. Johnny Sexton's first game of the season. Yeah, his season debut. First first start, yeah. Uh, Full stadium, full RDS. Uh, Sharks are like fast and loose, play a maniac sort of game, score tries, scored some unbelievable tries, have... Probably the most explosive back three in the whole competition. But we got kind of got the full Sexton performance on a season debut. Super confident walking on. Knitted together Lencer's phase play so brilliantly. Massive variety in his kicking game. Uh, an offload for lovely Gary Ringrose try. Ringrose's man of the match uh, on the wing. Sexton started a try in his own 22. I don't know if you saw this. Mm-hmm. With a crossfield kick to Ringrose. And ended up finishing the try in the opposition 22 with a little chip and chase. Like a, you know, like a young up and coming cheeky out half does. <laughs> but he was most, mostly what he was doing was berating the referee for the full 80 minutes. What? Johnny Sexton? Yep. He's American. Yeah. And, uh, careful, careful, careful. Like, we're so used to it, I think we almost don't notice it or, you know, it just brushes past at this stage. But it was kind of exciting and energising to see the South African fans, the media as well, and the commentators and analysts just going through that first flush of hatred for Sexton that <laughs> Europeans went through a decade or so ago. Like they haven't, basically haven't paid enough attention um, yeah, until yeah. now. Well, why who's, would this, they? who's this snarky yeah, Sexton yeah. character? They, yep. Well, you know, they, they just think he was in a bad mood that one time they watch Ireland play a year. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. But there's, uh, there's a few bits on Twitter. This guy, Johan van Rensburg, kind of summed it up. Sexton is a whining sourpuss, totally disrespectful of a referee, bad captain, very unsportsmanlike. Uh, Luvoko Numbembe. Do the Irish actually like Sexton or do they tolerate him? <laughs> Fuck me, he's an unbearable human. And then wow. Bre- Brendan Nell, who's like a respected journo, summed it up from the media side. How many players would get away with the back chat that Sexton gets away with? Sia, that Sia Khaleesi gets half the leeway, but there's an unwritten rule to put up with Sexton's whinging. Is and there? He, I mean, I, I've seen him get on the... Refs aren't always that happy about it. And well, sometimes we have, we have thought it's a bit of a weakness. Yeah, I think we suspect he's getting better at it or there's more balance to his personality on the pitch now, both with his teammates and the refs. But then 
I think it works really well with certain refs or less experienced refs or certain personalities. And then, say, the French refs in particular seem to really hate it mm. and it backfires on them. I don't know if he has the nuance now to realise who he's talking to because it definitely worked in this game. But it's also worth noting that when he f- got most kind of annoying was after two high tackles in a row mm. by the Sharks. And it, w- one of them like looked very serious injury for Ryan Baird, uh, who went off, uh, scary moments. Uh, one of three HIAs for Leinster players in the game. That's kind of another issue we might get into in a couple of weeks. But the he's defending dangerous moments and moments where it feels like it's escalating. And he does it too much. It, it definitely is annoying and it's objectively annoying, obviously. But he, he measures it and it's to protect himself because he's always a target and a target in this game, every other game, but also to protect his players. So there's... There's absolute logic. It's not like Paul Ince for Man United, like every little half tackle shouting and mouthing at the referee. Oh, there's a, a drive by on Paul Ince. <laughs> that one coming. Yeah. Yeah. Once a month, he's ready. You always have to stick the knife into Paul Ince. Yeah, but he, yeah that, there's, look, there's a logic to it. We know talking to the ref is pretty important in. Yep. I'm sure. I'm sure McCartan, who listened to us earlier on, I actually would like to hear his thoughts. If he wants to get in on, <laughs> on how Johnny Sexton deals with referees. But what about Munster beaten by Connacht? You mm-hmm. wouldn't even say Connacht had to play anywhere near their best and still no. beat Munster no. relatively comfortably, which doesn't say many good things about Munster. No, didn't even get a losing bonus points. Um, and you know, Jack Carty missed three really easy kicks. Like Jack Carty did some good stuff in open play, but there was three out halves playing the game that should be in the sort of top five approximately of out halves in Ireland at the moment. Joey Carberry was playing fullback, but he did an awful game of fullback. Confidence completely shot. Jack Carty did some decent stuff, but just some errors that there's no way an Irish management, a coaching management are going to forget, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly for a guy who's been in and out of form and then injured and he's, he's getting on a little bit now. I just, I just don't see him getting another chance with Ireland in spite of some of the brilliant stuff that he does. But yeah, Munster have six points in total after games against Cardiff, the Dragons, Zebra and Connacht, which is just about the easiest start you could have in the, in the league. They've problems absolutely everywhere. But then Connacht started troubling them in the scrum and line-out. And when you add in all their issues in phase play, their breakdown's horrible, and then their basic like pass and catch, it's going to be so tough it's whack-a-mole, like that no matter what problem they solve for next week, there's still another six or seven waiting. And unlike last season in the league, the South African sides have all started really well. Mm. And with your confidence that low and the best teams yet to be faced, like they face Leinster quite soon, the Bulls and other good teams, and they're the worst Irish team at the moment. I mean, Connacht were a good bit better than them, even in the scoreboard shows. Yeah. And there's no quick fixes, like, but they need to start catching the ball just as a, like, over-simplistic analysis. If they started doing that, they might have a chance in games. Like there was one point, Coombs was one of their better players yeah. and actually looks like a guy who's switched on and, and ready to adapt and move to the next level. Picked a lovely line in the first half, good angle, made a good few yards and in the tackle, nice pass out to the young winger, Connor Phillips, who lets it kind of slip through his grasp. And the pass was like three inches off being a good pass. You know, very little excuse not to catch it. And it ends a really promising move and at a point in the game where they're still feeling half okay about themselves. Phillips is like a young player, inexperienced, not a perfect pass, but totally catchable. And he's not the worst culprit by any means. I'm just picking out a very noteworthy moment. That stuff is killing them. Like, forget everything else. If you're not just basically passing reasonably accurately and catching 
decent passes. And, and, and sorry, and sorry, sorry, is that uh, they are trying to play a new type of? We've been hearing this about Munster for so yeah. long under a number yeah. of different coaches, but you know, this is the well, latest. Well, no, Van Van Ran had them Van, for a long time. Van Ran was doing it before yeah. that. No, yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. No, but, they are they are in transition and. You could almost write off the season for them. I think they're really going to struggle in the league now. But sorry, um, but just, but, what I, just what I was going to say was: yeah. are, are they? Is it the case that they're they're trying to do really adventurous stuff and that which they're not quite ready for yet, and will eventually get there? Or is the stuff you're talking about basic enough stuff like the the, the drop balls, the catches? No, it's, it's it's basic. The, what uh, we hope will be a more adventurous game plan, more ambitious. We're not even seeing, it's not even getting sparking to that point. So we don't even know really what the new coaching setup are trying to do. They can't even get off the starting grid. And I think on top of their form and their confidence, if there's clutter in their head about this complete change in game plan and its players have been under South African management for a long time now, I don't know if you take a step back and, and just get the basics done again like if they don't have they don't have scrum or line it against Connacht imagine what the Bulls and Leinster are going to do with them but it's almost hard to know where to start that maybe they need to simplify before they start employing the full game plan they want it maybe happen by the end of the season Loads of great stuff coming up on the World Service during the week including a Kennedy political podcast uh, what else we've got Champions League the Ireland women's team hopefully qualifying for a World Cup by close of business tomorrow Tuesday so we'll talk about that one on Wednesday and loads more besides so please join up if you can thanks or if you're already joined up thank you so much for that thanks Murph thanks Simon thank you thanks Murph thank thanks you, Simon you will of course hear every pod ad free every episode of the podcast ad free if you become a member Second Captain's Podcast is part Murph of the I know this one it's, it's the, the A-Cast, A-Cast Creator Network. Network yes of course Is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.